0: Hello and welcome to PS Pod, a podcast for CPT Pharmacometrics and Systems Pharmacology, produced in association with Wiley. In this episode, I interview Dr. Scott Marshall from Pfizer, Dr. Sandra Visser from Merck, and Dr. Amy Chung from AstraZeneca. Dr. Marshall, there are many publications which provide M&S guidelines. What is the rationale for this good practice guideline?
1: Well, a key difference here is that the rationale for this guideline originated from a request from the European Medicines Agency as part of the output from an associated workshop with with FPA, where current practice and modeling simulation was shared, and gaps and opportunities and how modelling simulation was and could be used across drug development and regulatory assessment was established. The EMA were specifically looking for FPR to develop a good practice guideline covering how modelling and simulation informs drug discovery and development to aid their general understanding and importantly help address the heterogeneity that they have seen in the reporting of these, these activities within the regulatory submissions. The idea of informing rather than basing drug discovery and development on models became central to our collective view. We therefore introduced the term MID3, model-informed drug discovery and development, as the title of our good practice document. MID3 is essentially a general term describing a quantitative framework for prediction and extrapolation centered on knowledge and inference Generated from integrated models of compound, mechanism, and disease level data, and aimed at providing the quality, efficiency, and cost effectiveness of decision making. While subtle, the evolution from model based drug development to model informed drug discovery and development is important, both with respect to more correctly capturing how modelling simulation is employed in informing. Research and development, and regulatory review, and emphasising that its value stems from routine deployment across discovery, development, and life cycle management. Significant here is that there is efficiency gained from both the forward and backward propagation of knowledge and inference across the R&D continuum. In developing the guidelines, colleagues from the, the 11. Participating FPR companies shared their internal good practices and importantly gave considerations on how these should evolve. This drove the how aspect of the final document, which was targeted towards documentation of activities and particular emphasis on regulatory reporting. As the sharing and discussion ensued, it also became clear that some companies still struggled to communicate the full value of MID3 to decision makers within their organization. And this limited the impact that MID3 could have in terms of deform- informing decision making within their companies. Similarly, it was identified that providing a viewpoint on how to develop and integrate MID3 plans within general R&D plans would be helpful Likewise, an outline of the challenges and opportunities for pharma, individual companies and project teams with respect to MID3 integration was also added to the final document upon request during the review process. So finally, the structure of the MID3 Good Practice white paper reflects its purpose and it is geared to provide a reference source for different types of readers with different requirements. The why section focuses on making the business case for mid-three and exemplifying its value and is geared towards company decision makers. While the what section provides an overview of mid-three conceptual framework and its implementation, this section is geared and targeted towards mid-three practitioners. Finally, the how section provides the good practice and documentation and practice and is geared towards
0: submission documentation and the associated regulatory review. Dr. Visser, what in a nutshell is MID3? Yeah, so, as Scott actually already alluded to, um,
2: MID3, that's Model Informed for Discovery and Development. And what we think is essentially a quantitative framework, which uses fit-for-purpose mathematical models for the prediction and both the extrapolation of knowledge and inference, and that is generated from the integration of data that comes from uh, data on the compound, the mechanism, and the disease level. And any of that integrative modeling, um, we we are guided by uh, framing the, the key question. And I will come back to some of those key questions. And those key questions arise during drug discovery, drug development, the regulatory interaction phase, and also during lifecycle management of the compound or the therapy at hand. And this modeling is also aimed to improve the quality and the efficiency and the cost effectiveness, the cost effectiveness of decision making. Uh, MID3 is not a one-time effort. Uh, we think it's envisioned to be a continuous cycle of learning confirming, where right? that modeling of data based on pharmacology, physiology, and pathology that will lead to knowledge. You can make then an inference uh, through, for example, simulation of a new design of a study or simulations of unstudied dosing regimens, and that can help to inform these decisions and conclusions. And as the next step, new data will be generated and that can be used to confirm and to qualify or to adjust the knowledge as part of the new cycle. And if we think about the key R&D questions that can be answered through quantitative approaches, they arise in many areas and a few of them are, for example, pharmacokinetics area, the efficacy, the safety, but also in the assessment of the risk benefit uh, or the medical need of a new therapy. And these questions, they can be asked, obviously, for the compound itself, but also for the disease and the mechanism. I'll give a few examples here. So, in the pharmacokinetic area, what is the impact of covariates on the exposure of compound X? Um, Does the disease impact the pharmacokinetics of a compound? Or another question could be, does the disease require co-medication that impacts pharmacokinetics through drug-drug interactions, and those, those questions are quite common, but you also have questions like if you think about risk-benefit assessment, so how do we best balance safety and efficacy for this disease? Can we quantify that? Um, how does our compound differentiate from other compounds with similar or related mechanism of actions, or in the area of the medical need? So what gain in risk-benefit profile would be required to drive cost-effectiveness and patient benefit versus the standard of care? So those are all key questions, and we have collated in the, um, in the document uh, a literature compilation uh, in order to illustrate our model-informed drug discovery and development framework. And for each of those literature examples that are compiled in the appendix, we have tried to surface key questions that we think uh, were underlying that piece of work, as well as the various modeling approaches that Amy will talk about. Uh, And we have exemplified it along the drug discovery and development path, all the way into therapeutic use. And the key questions, and I think that's the last point I wanna make, are all summarized as examples in table one of the white paper, uh, where you can find more of these uh, key questions, typical questions
0: that you can ask along the way. Dr. Chiang, what is new or different in this good practice document?
3: The good practice document provides an encapsulated platform to demonstrate mid free concepts from idea to reality with more than 100 case studies collated from the public domain. As Sandra mentioned, these examples are the unique features and key to illustrate the importance and application of mid free concepts and planning tools to answer key questions. Which impact the decision making. The mid-free strategic planning and implementation tools outlined in the document will help the readers to set up mid-free plans through consideration of relevant R&D questions. To the different themes illustrated in Table One, Sandra has already described some of them. In general, there are seven R&D question themes: their are medical need or commercial viability, efficacy safety or tolerability, pharmacokinetics, benefits or risk, clinical viability, and study design. With respect to this, the key questions can then be scoped at compound, mechanism, and disease or indication level in order to promote effective dialogue during plan creation and enable adoption of good practice. The nature, extent, and priority of these questions should guide the quantitative approaches and the sequence of these activities to answering the key questions. In the document, we have summarised some of the most common quantitative approach and provided some references for tutorials and also exemplified the role in decision-making in Table 2. For example, these tools can be empirical such as analysing responses at those level or longitudinal or as a dose-exposure-response relationship for a single compound. In addition, model-based meta-analysis offers the opportunity to compare a new compound against its competitor based on their reported summary statistics, while taking into account the impact of trial and population characteristics. Also, more mechanistic approaches can be utilized as well, ranging from semi-mechanistic models to system pharmacology models, including PBPK. We have summarized these approaches in Table 2, but also exemplified the role in decision-making. Examples were compiled from literature with the aim to illustrate the meat-free framework along the drug discovery and development path all the way into therapeutic use. Uniquely, we have developed a framework for identifying, evaluating, and documenting assumptions in Table 5 to promote transparent communication with decision-makers. We also introduced an FPR categorization of mid-free internal decision-making, which is in alignment with EMA proposal to clarify the use of modeling and simulation for decision-making This also a more transparent way of communicating how the modelling and simulation work contributes to decision making and Sandra will go into more detail. As Scott mentioned, another highlight features of the document is that the authors from the eleven FPA companies have identified challenges for successful implementation of Meat Free within a pharmaceutical company. This includes effective integration of multiple data sources that can be impact by perceived ownership of data sets and a perception that the approaches are not as statistically rigorous as the more traditional analysis. However, we believe these challenges present opportunities to improve the impact of meat-free in the industry.
0: Dr. Visser, could you illustrate this with some examples in how classification could help decision-making? Yes, as Amy already alluded
2: to, we have made a proposal in our white paper on the categorization of uh, the value of model-informed drug discovery and development activities for the internal decision-making, and this proposal is largely in alignment with the classification that was proposed by the EMA at the Modeling and Simulation Workshop in December 2011. And the aim for this categorization for impact of MID3 um, is actually to initiate a dialogue on the potential usefulness of such an approach uh, for both retrospective and prospective assessments. Um, And in that way, trying to drive the discussion, how how can this help uh, in terms of defining the appropriate level of documentation as well as the level of scrutiny? and support risk adjustment uh, QCing uh, for each of those different levels of impact. And as I said, we are aligned with the EMA framework um, as our proposed categories are associated with the degree to which modeling approaches can inform a particular decision-making process within the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so I will exemplify a little bit. If if we talk about a low category impact, that we mean that MID3 work uh, provides inferences that have limited or little impact on internal decision making within the industry, and are primarily aimed at describing the evidence. And you can think about descriptive PK and PKPD approaches, but you can also think about uh, activities that are generating hypotheses, but those hypotheses are no not further investigated or used for decision-making at that point. But one important point that we want to make is that if it's a low category impact, it doesn't mean that it's low value work because descriptive work may be very valuable in supporting the regulatory interaction or become a, a part or a foundation on which future work or modeling work can be based. Uh, to answer uh, upcoming future strategic questions. Uh, The medium category impact is MID-3 work that provides inferences that inform internal decisions. And those, uh, for example, include uh, you make an inference beyond starting, uh, you make an inference beyond standard reporting methods as a response to the strategic questions that the business has, and MYD3 inference is then also a major component at the next decision point point. and will be, uh, and that's then the aim, will be supplemented by evidence later on generated in future experimental or trial data. And you can think about uh, in this category will fall activities that help to select uh, the optimal dosing regimen, the optimal target population or the sample size. Uh, the design of future trials and the development path, but also uh, making decisions uh, and selections on pathway targets, compounds for future investigations uh, prior to the next upcoming milestone. And in, in the supplemental table that I already alluded to, we have indicated How we as authors of this white paper thought that the impact was for each of those examples with regards of internal FPI impact as well as the regulatory EMA impact for all of those examples. And I think we found around over one-third of the examples were in the medium impact category. And then as a last category, we have the high-impact category where MID3 work provides inferences that support decision-making without the need to to generate additional experimental or trial data, and that is where uh, MID3 extrapolates or is the only way to extrapolate to address a specific question. Um, High impact is where MID3 um, inference is a key component at the next decision point. Uh, where the knowledge uh, may not be verified by future evidence that will be generated in a future trial and I think that's uh, quite often happening in the industry for example if you make the decision to stop or to accelerate or delay a compound or a mechanism, and as well obviously in the area of pediatrics and oncology where uh, Simulations or modeling and simulation work aims to provide evidence of efficacy and safety instead of generating clinical data. And that could help to bring uh, desired therapies earlier to the population of interest without having to do long trials, Uh, but obviously that comes with a number of requirements. Also in the impact um, example, in the literature examples that we compiled in the appendix, we have a few high-impact examples. Um, a few of them I can highlight. There's one where uh, MID3 informed the decision to discontinue a compound. Um, also, there's an example where the, where modeling and simulation was used to seek and gain approval for an untested dosing scheme, and an example where MID3 was used to recommend a particular dose in severely renal-impaired patients. And these examples realize essentially high business value because if the decision outcome had been different, uh, for example, for the uh, the first example, there would be still a lot of investment on a compound that may ultimately fail. In the second example, additional studies would have been needed to uh, basically study that untested dose regimen and that would uh, both cost uh, money as well as time, and therefore, the last example, uh, the treatment would not have become available for severely renal impaired patients, which is obviously also uh, a high impact category. And the determination of high, medium, or low category impact is of course based on the particular strategic question that we have under consideration. Uh, but MID3 activities also have the intrinsic quality. Uh, to make or to have different levels of impact for different questions. Um, So that's why we also emphasize that we need to have a fit for purpose approach in order to determine which particular activity can be most informative. And I think as a final comment I would like to make is that MID3 activities, that's what we believe, have the potential to further enhance their business value because they enable the integrated learning and confirming across a range of compounds, uh, different mechanisms, and also diseases. And then that's why we believe that ongoing development of a larger, more comprehensive quantitative framework will probably increase the likelihood of realizing high category impact
0: more more in the future. Dr. Marshall, how does a document help decision makers, practitioners, and regulators? For decision makers the white paper provides a business case for mid-three which
1: captures the recent publications across companies and importantly identifies publications where companies have captured the return on investment for mid-three approaches in their organizations another aspect is the review of the 100 plus case studies where we have described the case study in terms of application type d-span r d from target selection to life cycle management. We have also captured the more specific R&D question being asked and answered. The themes being targeted, whether it be around efficacy, safety, medical need, and the the levels of evidence being synthesized, whether at the disease level, compound level, or around mechanism, and what modeling approaches have been used to characterize these. Key in this exercise was to provide a, an overview of the holistic value or impact, and this has been previously described by Sandra, while also illustrating how the integration of different modelling approaches and levels of evidence become intertwined in looking to effectively answer the R&D question. On the other hand, for practitioners, we provide on behalf of FPA a common set of good practices in the planning and reporting to facilitate and aid all companies, large or small, to enable them to move forward their practice in modeling simulation or indeed realize that they can for the first time start to use these methods to improve their R&D decision-making and therefore efficiency. We hope that the catalog of examples can provide a starting point for colleagues looking for inspiration on how to tackle a particular R&D question, and at the same time, that good practice question activity grid aids in identifying and linking activities across levels of evidence synthesis and determining unique solutions to new problems. We also provide a table of links to, t- to tutorials, examples and considerations with respect to different modeling approaches, which should be an educational starting point for new practitioners. Finally, our how section of the documentation should enable prospective and reproducible work and help move the discussion from the technical coding of models to assumptions that they are that they are actually encoded. The, the aim is to move the discussion from whether the equations are correct to the assumptions that can be debated, agreed by company and regulators, and importantly that these assumptions are the ones that can be assessed and tested and refined across cycles of learning and confirming. For regulators, it is important here to note that there has been close collaboration with EMA in the planning of this document, and feedback from the EMA modeling simulation workgroup group colleagues is incorporated into the final version. The primary aim here, of course, was to help address the heterogeneity in the standard reporting of analyses that had been seen by the EMA in past submissions. We have aimed to provide a clear structure and practical approach to the documentation of mid-three plans and reports. Of particular note are the proposed approaches to the transparent documentation of assumptions and the practical and risk-adjusted approach to QC. Finally, the wish is for these good practices to serve as a foundation for future
0: regulatory guidelines. Dr. Chow, What will happen next for this good practice, and what does success look like, and what can we expect in the future?
3: We hope the article provides a starting point for development of regulatory guidelines which align requirements with respect to model and assumption evaluation and qualification based on the level of impact of the MID free contribution to the regulatory review questions. In particular, mid-free will be included in the revised ICH E11 paediatric guideline as a new section including high-level information, which will be then expanded in a future-specific ICH guidance. Specifically, it is hoped that this good practice document impacts the guidance, planning and implementation of extrapolation approaches. It also provides a starting point for comparison and development of common standards and understanding across a wide community of model builders, from system modelers to statisticians in drug development. This obviously has links with the IMI project, which aims to improve quality, efficiency and cost effectiveness of model-informed drug discovery and development. Didymo will achieve this by delivering a platform for models and knowledge sharing based on standards to ensure quality, traceability and consistency of evidence, including documentations of model assumptions. Academia, industries and health authorities can rely on this platform for making decisions about development, approval of new medicines and improvement of therapy with existing drugs. Our vision of success is increased impact on meat-free within organisations brought about by more effective and transparent communication of meat-free approaches. We would like to see meat-free as an enabler of more efficient R&D, as well as increased regulatory review success. We also hope that regulators will benefit from the increased quality. And consistency of mid-free work in regulatory submissions.
0: That was Doctors Marshall Visser and Chiang, and you can find their article at onlinelibrary.wiley.com. I'm Dennis Velasco. Thank you for listening.